if I was on my deathbed and I look back on my life, I don't want to have this regret or I don't want to be like, oh, I could have done that. I want to live a life of purpose, a life of intentionality, and I want to create some sort of legacy. So it's my pleasure to invite Zian Virji. Martin Kenya, one 17-year-old boy. This is Zian's story. To date, we've been able to help 17,000 people, 10 countries around the world, raise over hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had never seen something like this coming in my life, and losing three weeks of my life and, and hearing all these stories like made me realize, realize that shit, like, like our time like on this planet is very limited right and like i'm so grateful for her obviously like we dated for like one year and, and that was probably like the best like one of the best things that has happened to me moving forward i lost control of my life for three weeks moving forward i want to be in 100 percent control of everything that i do moving forward like what if i lost my life or what if like i never got out of this this weird state that i was in like what if Going very back into my background and who I am and where it all started, I can probably think of, um, I guess, growing up. So as most of you know, I'm from Tanzania, um, born and raised there. And my family background, I think, really shaped my values and, and the person that I've become today. So I think thinking about... And learning about my parents' story from a very early age, um, we came from a middle-class family. Uh, my parents immigrated to Tanzania, and both my parents worked. Um, and growing up, it was, I wouldn't say it's hard, but I, I'd say because of the way, the way I saw my parents work so hard and really coming into a new country and trying to build a life for their kids and give everything like my mom wanted to pursue education because she got married so early um but she could never really pursue her she wanted to do an acca at the time she wanted to become a chartered accountant but she couldn't do that because she had to go straight into work so that she she could support my dad um and help us with our education um and make sure that we get the best of education possible for us at the time so Growing up, a lot of the times it was before my brother left from like grade one to seven, it was mostly just my brother and I like uh, at home and we had to sort of like grow up with each other. My parents were at work and they would come really late. Um, and I think thinking about that, I slowly started like valuing uh, some of the things that, that a lot of people take for granted in life, like going to school, family, you know, the value of money and 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 the privileges people have and people don't have. Um, and I think that really shaped me. And a story I can think of is when we were young, like going to school, a lot of, uh, we, our parents gave us very little pocket money and they would, a lot of our friends were more wealthier than us. So they would get a lot of pocket money. At that time, that was such a big deal. And my, my parents would pack us food to go to school, but we felt so embarrassed to take that food because you're we like, yo, like I wanna buy food from the canteen. Like I wanna, uh, I don't wanna eat like this, this Indian food that my mom packed for me, you know what I mean? Um, so my brother and I thought about like being creative with it. And we're like, how do we get more pocket money from our parents? So we set up this deal with my parents in which uh, we used to take the school bus 
Um, but instead of my brother and I were like, how about we tell our parents, like, instead of giving us the money for, instead of paying for the school bus, uh, how about you give us that money and we'll get more pocket money and we'll be able to then, I guess, have like a meal at school or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, like simple stories like that, I feel like really, really shaped me and, and understanding like, okay, what, what, like, where am I at in this world? What is the value of working hard? What is the value of, of, um, of like money and, and, and giving back and coming to the story of like, of, of why in my journey, I've always thought about social impact. I think, so I, I mentioned this to all of you guys before, but I'm an Ismaili Muslim and one of the really strong pillars in our faith, I'm very religious, is, is service and giving back. And so from a very early age, my, I was very involved in my, uh, in my community um, and in volunteering. So everything from like orphanage visits, like every other weekend to like hospitals, to working with elders um, in the community. Like I'll go to the mosque every day. So I was a volunteer there. And the people at the time I can think of like, uh, I'm going to say their names because I want to shout them out. But there was like Nadir and Miss Alicia at the time. And I was very young and they would really encourage me to like uh, be part in the community and volunteer and do small things like, you know, getting water for the elders or arranging the shoes at the mosque or like simple things like that. And I feel like that really um, those experiences at that very early age at that time, I was mostly doing it because like all my friends were part of it and that was my community. But I feel like going through those experiences really shaped those values that, that I still have today of giving back of service and, and the importance of it and thinking about a purpose um, in life. And then I guess in terms of what I was like in school before I moved to boarding school, um, my parents were like typical Indian parents. They really pushed both my brother and I to like do well in school. And um, so especially like in, in our primary years, like from grade one to six, we would pretty much do like every extracurricular activities like in school uh parents re would really push us to like get good grades and stuff and I would never do my homework and I would always like be like I'm gonna like give it in tomorrow and she would always say like tomorrow never comes and that's something that still stuck with me until today and and hence why this podcast as well why it's called leaders of today because it's this idea that if you have if there's something that you want to do in life or there's something that you want to accomplish or there's something that 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 you're passionate about, you don't have to wait until tomorrow to start it because tomorrow never comes, right? And I think that's something that that I have really stuck with me and, and this mindset from a very early age of like if you want to achieve something in life, like you can start today and, and hence why leaders of today, the name of the podcast. So yeah, that's that's some of my earlier memories and a lot growing up. I had I had really good friends at the time um again uh, which I, and i'm not friends with them anymore but um because of like a lot of shit that went down but um i think that sense of community and those friends that i had growing up and and doing stuff like volunteering um my religious community my family um my brother would always have this that's his favorite quote it's his like whatsapp status and instagram bio up to today but he's had this since like Growing up, I would always see it. He would put posters of it everywhere. And it's this idea of you have to be odd to be number one. And and I would see that all the time, but I never really meant what it is. But now that I look back, like my whole journey 
has literally been being the odd person in my community in the work that I've done doing this podcast like if I look at the people around me like no one's doing this everyone's taking very uh conventional paths of like you know getting a job or like uh doing like in solder doing like finance and accounting um no one's really pursued like creativity or non-profit in school you know what I mean so I feel like my brother and it's it's actually his birthday today so um when we were filming it's his birthday but um yeah I feel like that's his story and and he's someone I've I've always looked up to he was always that big role model I had at home um I would always hang out with his friends I would always like you know uh I'd see him like win awards and do like cool stuff and he's had his own like path and struggles but for me like he's someone I've always looked up to and I've always wanted to be like him so uh yeah that idea of you have to be out to be number one like that's something that that still talk to and he also has a tattoo of it so that's how obsessed he is with anyways this episode has only been possible through the support of optimal living you're on a mission to make every person feel like home in my journey they've made canada feel like home through their support by not only giving me my first job here but by ensuring that this episode has come to life thank you so much to the optimal living family um and moving to the school the akan academy mombasa it was life changing um in the sense that you know i for the first time in my life i i was in a place where i was more intentional i was around people that uh would really push me there was this really competitive nature at the school um cuz in some of my middle years i was losing that that passion and ambition to like do what i want i wouldn't care about school i never do my homework like i was sort of losing that so it was really good timing for me to move to that school um and then eventually i did move there in my first year i did find it difficult again moving to a new country making new friends boarding school like i love my parents so being away from them like was was weird um and i was only like uh, like 15 at the time so it did take me a while to adjust um and actually after my first after so on the last day of my first year um there's a dengue fever outbreak and um all everyone on my floor got it apart from me and i was like i was like chatting shit i'm like yeah, i didn't get it all of you guys got it and obviously karma is a thing so i ended up getting it and the last day of school uh was full of like assemblies and stuff and i remember like feeling really sick um my head was hurting i had a really bad fever um and um yeah it was just pretty bad and i went to my uh my dorm parents uh, office and i was like yo i can't sit in these assemblies uh, can i just like sleep at your like be in your office until the assemblies are over and he's like yeah so i sat there and i just fell asleep cuz i was so weak and stuff um and then he woke me up for lunch and he's like yo you you don't look all right like you should go see the nurse so i went to the nurse and she told me i can't give you any medication until like you uh have something to eat so i go have lunch i come back and then she wasn't there like she was having lunch and i was so weak and like exhausted i'm like i can't even sit here like waiting for her so i'm just going to go to my room and i'm going to like sleep and then come back in the evening for meds I go to my room and and um I I fall asleep until midnight and keep in mind I'm leaving the next day to go back to Tanzania um taking a 5am bus in the morning so I hadn't packed I hadn't done anything it's the end of the year I have to 
take everything back with me to because it was like summer break right so um i was so sick like i fell asleep until midnight and then one of my friends wakes me up and he's like yo you haven't packed you're sick like and we're leaving in five hours you need to fix up so in all that weakness and and how bad i was feeling i somehow managed to pack everything um got on the bus uh to go back to tanzania and we um i slept the whole 12 hour bus ride because i was so weak um and no one knew like what was happening at the time like my dorm parent was like he was sick but like i don't know if he left like what's wrong my parents were worried they're like what's happening uh because i wouldn't like reply to the phone because i was asleep and then right off right when i get down the bus like i was so bad that we didn't even go home like we went straight to the hospital um because i was i was just really sick um and what dengue fever does is it kills your platelets and your platelets are what makes your white blood cells um so when you get dengue fever like if your platelet count goes very low you can um basically you can um your organs can start bleeding because there's no there's nothing to protect your body so it took doctors one week to figure out there was dengue fever and we kept going from hospital to hospital and obviously our healthcare system isn't the best so Eventually, they did figure out that uh, I had dengue fever and uh, they admitted me to the hospital and they were like, if we waited any longer, like, it would have been pretty bad, like your organs would have been gone. And so I was admitted in the hospital for one week. Um, and it was really weird but because even when I was in the hospital, like, my brain was, was like, acting up. Like, I, I was hallucinating a little bit at the time. Um... I was very like drowsy and like it was just a very weird experience like even being in the hospital for a week um but eventually I do recover and they discharge me and from the point of getting discharged up to the next 3 weeks I don't remember anything but from the stories that people told me um I was basically acting hypersexual and hyperactive uh for a period of 3 weeks and I had no control over myself so um you know i was doing everything from like singing and dancing and shouting in the mosque to like uh randomly going up to people and hugging them to doing some really like crazy things like we went to a doctor when i was in this phase and they asked me what do i want to be when i grow up and they're like i want to become a porn star or some shit like i was that messed in the head and i did some really crazy things um that i don't think are appropriate to share but um i didn't really have any control over myself and 3 weeks later i wake up on my bed and i check my phone i see the date um cuz like on your home screen you see the date and the last thing i remembered was 3 weeks before that getting discharged from the hospital and i'm like why is my phone acting up like is my calendar wrong like like what's happening right now and i was so lost and i was so confused and i'm like what the hell like and then i obviously call my parents and i was like in the meantime checking my social media and i was like something's not adding up like everything looks so different like where's like like why why is the timing's not aligning right and then my parents rush home and they tell me like yeah like you were basically acting stupid and crazy and and like hypersexual hyperactive for 3 weeks and their first reaction was they were relieved that i'm in my senses and i'm trying to make sense of things so i was so confused i started crying when they started telling me all these stories because i couldn't believe like these were some of the things that i did and it took me around 1 to 2 weeks to fully figure out 
what was the difference between because I kept feeling like I was in my dreams. Um, like when they dis- when they were describing some of the stuff, I had glimpses of it, and the glimpses were like how you have glimpses of your dreams. And I was like, what the hell is happening right now? So I kept like touching stuff um, to be like, like, is this real? Is this a dream? Like, I don't know. Am I tripping right now? And because they gave me a lot of medication to control me, like I was shivering. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. Like, and those one to two weeks were really hard because I was so confused and I couldn't understand like what is life. Um, anyways, eventually I do fully recover and I'm starting to make sense of things. And the thing is, everyone had a different theory about it. So the psychology, the people that treated me for dengue fever were like, that may have affected your brain functionality because that's something that happens. Um, went to a psychologist. She misdiagnosed me at the time for bipolar disorder. And she said I went through a manic episode. Um, we went to spiritual like priests and because my parents are very religious and spiritual and they thought I was possessed and they would do all these different like weird like chants and give me all these random like things to drink and it was, it was weird and then we went and because my parents were trying to figure every possible solution to help me out of this situation right um we went to a reiki master and she said like a negative entity passed through me and my chakra for like like sex and stuff was misaligned because uh, you have like seven chakras so everyone had a different theory and i didn't know what to believe but now that i look back and and as I think about that story, um, my biggest learning out of that or my biggest like uh, thought process was like, okay, everyone has a different theory. I just went to this really weird ass out of body experience or whatever you can call it. Um, what, what next, right? And I felt like I had never seen something like this coming in my life and losing three weeks of my life and, and hearing all these stories like made me realize realize that shit like like our time like on this planet is very limited right and and like what if i lost my life or what if like i never got out of this this weird state that i was in like what if right and so i sort of took it as like some sort of wake-up call and some sort of like um turning point in the sense that i was like shit like Moving forward, I lost control of my life for three weeks. Moving forward, I want to be in 100% control of everything that I do moving forward. And crazy enough, everything that happened after that just aligned so well um, that, that yeah, like the rest is sort of history. And, and I'll share more about that in the next segment. I hope you are as inspired as I was through this conversation. If you'd like to follow our journey and learn more about some of the other guests, I encourage all of you to follow us on all social media platforms at Leaders of Today Pod. We hope to continue bringing these conversations to life and hope you're able to take something away from this. So obviously we're talking about um, the story of how I went through this experience. And I mentioned that everything that happened after this sort of aligned in a way, now that I look back, it just doesn't make like, like, there's no logical sense of how everything just made sense after everything that happened in the sense that, so my parents, after going through the experience, didn't want to send me back to boarding school because they were like, what if this happens again? Like, who's going to take care of you? Luckily, it all happened during the summer. Um, but I somehow convinced them that I'm going to go back. Like, like all my friends, like I've settled there, like whatever. So we go back to school and... Um, because I had this thing at the back of my head that I want to live a life more intentionally and I want to 
you know, get my shit together, sort of. Um, I, I, so in terms of there was someone that I liked at the time and right after this, like, that's my, like my second girlfriend, but I got with her right after this experience and like, I'm so grateful for her. Obviously, like we dated for like one year and, and that was probably like the best, like one of the best things that has happened to me. Um, so that like in terms of my like relationship or love life, like that was something that that aligned. And then in school, I started doing like I, I I didn't have good grades in my first year at boarding school, but right after that, we used to have this honor system where like if you get past a certain mark, like you're awarded, and it's like a whole thing. So right after this thing happened, after my in my second year, I started being on the honor list, and I my grades started becoming better, and I was working really hard. I managed to change my friend group at the time, um, and start surrounding myself with like better friends and people that actually wanted the best for me and. I went through a whole phase where I like had to cut people out and stuff. So that's something that aligned. And then obviously the big nonprofit, um, right when I go back to school, I'm required to start up this personal project and I could do anything of my choice. Um, and everyone in the cohort um, had to do this project. Um, and that is when I watched this documentary on, on Al Jazeera named India's Menstruation Man. First time learning about periods, first time learning about menstruation. I was never the kind of kid that really cared about like social issues or anything. Like, um, I was like, yo, like that's weird, man. Like, who talks like you're a guy, like don't talk about periods and shit, you know what I mean? But uh I watched this documentary and I'm like, yo, like this is interesting. Like, uh, why is no one talking about this? And I have a conversation with my mom about it, and she tells me that when she was younger and she grew up in India, she grew up in a single parent household. So they struggled financially a lot when, when they were growing up and there were points in her in her life where she didn't have access to products. So she would use old rags, cloth, like uh, blankets uh, when she got a period and it was very unsanitary, very uncomfortable. There, she told me all these stories about how there were moments where she would leak in school and stuff and her friends would have to like help her out. Um, so I'm like, damn, like I watched this documentary. My mom tells me this story. Um, like I want to do something about this. So I go through this whole journey of like researching and checking out all these different products. Um, I learned how to stitch with a tailor and uh, I was able to design my first product that would last for six months and help 22 people in, in Moshi, Tanzania, which is where I'm from. Um, or Tanzania is where I'm from, but a city called Moshi. And that marked the end of my school project. I, um, I was able to uh, help 22 people. I presented about it, got really good feedback. And when everyone was making their presentations, like I was, my presentation wasn't the best. Like I never got like, uh, I guess the best of grades. Like usually we had like this whole exhibition and all the other people were like being like, yo, your project is way better than this other kid. Anyways, no one really paid attention to me. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, cause I knew I did this project cause I actually wanted to help versus doing the best project, if that makes sense. Anyways, we got feedback from these 22 people and I realized that I actually contributed more to the problem than solving it. And what this means is that after the 22 people, after the six months that my product will last for those 22 people, they would go back to the same old methods that they had. And in reality, I just created like a dependency syndrome where they keep depending on someone else to come and help them. Um, and I didn't really solve this issue. So that was the first realization I had. Secondly, I realized like the product that I made 
they weren't like some of the people that I worked with, they didn't even have pairs of underwear. How are they even going to wear this like reusable pad that I made? Uh, I realized the colors that I use, it was white. So the blood stains were so uh, evident and you have to wash these. So like they would feel really embarrassed when they wash it and put it on the open. So I had all these realizations and also realized this is something I want to continue working on. So I go back to school, start a small team. We're around seven to 10 people at the time. And uh, we changed two main things. One, we changed our product. So we collaborated with a group of women with disabilities that knew how to stitch. And with them, we were able to come up with this product that will now last for three years, 100% uh, biodegradable, extremely cost-effective and embarrassment-free. It would also come with all these different things that I talked about, such as pairs of underwear, antiseptic soap, a waterproof bag, and all these different items. And we'd also change the design so that we use like darker colors so you can't see the blood stains. It's embarrassment-free in that sense. And then what we also change is we change our approach. So now when working with groups, instead of just... Um, simply going to a group and giving them products and be like, okay, thank you very much. Like, see you. I hope we've helped you and take a bunch of pictures. Like now we actually take time to understand their needs, build a relationship with them. Um, we're able to, um, we have this sustainable model for approaching, which we'll initially go in there, do a needs assessment, build a relationship. And then after that, we would, um, we would have an educational workshop where we teach both uh, boys and girls, menstruators and non-menstruators about reproductive and sexual health because uh, it's usually not part of your school curriculum. And then after that, we'll introduce our product. We'll be like, these are reusables. These are what your other options are um, and and talk about like other types of products and we'll teach them how to use and wash your reusable. But what we'll also do is we'll teach them how to make their own. Now, the good thing about this is after uh the three years that it lasts we're providing them a skill it's this whole idea of don't give them fish but teach them how to fish right so since we're giving them the skill after the three years and we use locally available materials they can now have lifelong access to this product and never depend on anyone else to give this to them you know what i mean and and the good thing is also that if there's a group of there's an exponential effect so there's if there's a group of a thousand and we go in there and just help like 10 menstruators those stand then pass on that skill to 10 others and those stand pass on to 10 others. So eventually uh, we're able to help a whole community of a thousand and really empower them uh, and have that long lasting impact. So we did change that. And whilst I was doing all of this, I was documenting on my social media, I was talking about it and organically it just kind of grew, you know, like a lot of people would see it. Um, and, and we, I mean, to date we've been able to help 17,000 people 10 countries around the world raise over hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I guess a really big year as part of that was in 2019 when we I was able to win the Diana Award, one of the most prestigious awards. Um, I was able to be featured on like BBC. Um, I was getting a lot of like recognition for the work. I was doing. I got to travel to New York for uh, like a summit where and travel to Dubai to speak about my journey. And I was really able to get all that recognition and 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 see why is it that I'm making that impact and and grow. Um, fast forward, um, twenty twenty. Obviously, COVID hits, and at the time we had only helped, um, I think pre-COVID around five hundred people, but COVID hit, and I realized that I was spending a lot of time talking about the work that I was doing versus actually doing the actual work. And when COVID hit, I realized like, yo, like. I'm doing this all wrong and and I got so caught up in, you know, the fame and the clout and and doing PR and and all of this recognition that 
I was sort of losing why is it that I'm actually doing what I'm doing. So in COVID, I reconnected with that and and we really pushed the impact that we had. So pre-COVID, we were around 500 people. 2020, we did 8,500. Uh, 2021 to now, we're at 17,000 and and only growing. So we're really able to expand in terms of impact and and I've really connected with that and I made that intentional effort to spend more time on the actual work on ground. Obviously, over the years, um, through the work that I was doing, I've had a lot of other opportunities like worked in the climate space, in the education space, poverty, and so forth. And throughout this journey, if there's something that I can think about is that, that, that story and that experience that I went through earlier that, you know, why is it that I'm doing all of this, right? And it's that idea of like, if I was on my deathbed and I look back on my life, I don't want to have this regret or I don't want to be like, oh, I could have done that. I want to live a life of purpose, a life of intentionality, and I want to create some sort of legacy. And what that legacy for me is and all I can think about is that impact that I can have on other people. So be it through this conversation or be it through the nonprofit or the other projects that I worked on, I'm always thinking about how is it in my day-to-day interactions I can have an impact on someone's life. And I think that's something I encourage everyone to think about. It's very hard, obviously, as a 20-year-old watching this, like to have these difficult conversations with yourself. But that's something we should all have. Like, who knows if tomorrow is ever going to come? And that's the reason why I want to have this podcast is how do we have these conversations? How do we create a space for anyone that's watching to to be like, okay, all these different guests have had their path and started so young and have done what they've done. If they can do it, why can't I do it? You know what I mean? If I look at 15-year-old Zian when I was just starting off, I just wish someone told me that, you know what, you're not in this alone and people have gone through this path and you can look up and, and I wish I, could, I would listen to these conversations to keep me pushing through those tough days. So that's the reason why I guess I started this show. Um, I want to inspire any person that's watching, no matter what age they are, no matter what their background is, no matter what their financial status is or what country they're from, if you have an idea or if you have a passion and is this something that you want to pursue, no matter what field it is, like arts, sports, music, business, whatever activism, like if you have something, I want you to, what I want you to take away from this conversation is that you can make an impact and, and you can really achieve what you want to achieve um, and, and nothing should stop you. Don't wait until tomorrow as my grade three teachers say, tomorrow never comes. Start today and as young people, we're not only leaders of tomorrow, but we're leaders of today. Thank you very much. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> that was so good. Just a quick one. If you see value in this conversation, I want to take this further and introduce you our weekly newsletter. The goal of the newsletter is to provide resources, opportunities, and show you guys some of the behind the scenes stuff that we have. So if this is of your interest and you want to gain more value from the podcast, I recommend using the link in the description to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you.